to Speak Sex. I am your host, Eve Eurydice. I am a writer and artist from the island, the Greek island of Lesbos. Um, one of the facts that changed my life completely and has led me to creating this podcast, the other factor is the advent of the Me Too movement um, and the way that it has redefined our needs as women, our boundaries as women, our, our understanding of our physical boundaries and our physical needs. So my response was that possibly this was the first time where women could take back our genetic advantage, which is sex, the power of sex, the power of procreation, you know, the power of saving life <laughs> and the planet. Um, through voicing the sexual energy that we have, um, which is our difference and which is what patriarchy is most afraid of. So um, thank you for listening. Today's guest is Alexandra Gelbard. She is a sociologist. Um, she's working at FIU currently, and she's focused on issues of the African diaspora, and particularly as they are um, in the culture, as they are seen in the culture in Cuba. Mm -hmm. um, so I would uh, love to discuss issues of, you know, sociological integration or lack thereof for women of color in, you know, America and the islands. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, um, wh what is your, you know, what is your journey? What brought you to this study, which apparently now you've done for couple of decades yeah. <laughs> <laughs> almost um, yeah I've been working in Cuba since 2005 mm. um well actually no I'm sorry since 2002 I'm working on my graduate school process since 2005 um yeah since 2002 it was an opportunity that arose kind of last minute I was still in college and um a woman who then became my mentor um, I'm no longer working with her though uh, she invited me to go to Cuba. Um, she said, hey, you have two days to decide. We leave in three weeks. And I'd never thought about Cuba, but I went for the first time as a 21-year-old, um, and it completely opened up my world. Um, mm. Everything changed, and I fell in love with the country. I fell in love with the people. I could hear, I remember the first trip, I was sitting on a corner, and I could hear music, um, like a symphony of everyday life through the way that the trucks were rolling past, the sound of people walking on the sidewalks, the, you know, just the ambient noise. It mm -hmm. just c clicked, and I, mm -hmm. I It felt much more real and authentic, right? Yeah, I just, I had and never... intimate. I had never experienced anything like that before. Where were you? Where did you go to Cuba from? Um, I was an undergraduate at, at Colby College in mm -hmm. Waterville, Maine. Oh, wow. Um, I was yeah. from Washington, D.C. originally, mm. and come to learn that... Um, kind of the music that I grew up with in D.C., Go-Go, um, one of the foundational components is that that conga beat, the mm. percussion beat, is derived from Cuba. And it goes back into the 1920s. It's not a history that's really cognitive, um, but through my research, I realized that that connection was made. So Go-Go really taught me how to move. It taught me mm. how to feel rhythm, mm. and it all connected back to Cuba. So it made sense that I ended up you know, working mm. there. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's definitely a, a language in a country that's touched by the gods because, yeah. I mean, for such a small community and, you know, both geographically and in population, mm-hmm. what a destiny in the 20th century especially, yeah. right? Big player yeah. <laughs> for its size yeah. <laughs> and still is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and during your, all the time you spent there, you had a lot of access to the women in in the culture, right? The yeah. way that their lives differ and are alike with ours. Definitely. Um, you know, when I started going, it was through research mm-hmm. and I started um, helping on a project looking at the African-inspired religious practices, mostly in Eastern Cuba in the city of Santiago. And um, my project, you know, developed and I focused more on um, the popular cultural relationship to religion through this genre called conga. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up working primarily in spaces of all men, um, which now looking back had a really huge influence on, you know, how I grew up and as a 21 year old and not really having had a lot of um, experiences at that part, at that point in my life with relationships and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it helped me learn how to find my kind of sexual voice, mm. um, and being in those all male spaces and being a white woman on top of that, um, I learned very quickly about positionality and what it meant to be kind of have my body exotified, um, be treated in ways that I always had to prove myself. Um, and fortunately, one of the one of the good things that my professor did was say, you know, it's not a good idea to have sexual relationships with people in the field. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> Like, you know. Um, yeah, it took professors like uh, <laughs> quite a few decades to f- figure that out, but yeah. <laughs> um, and so she was very emphatic. Um, you know, in the beginning, like I did, um, I was, you know, bright eyed 21 year old. I was getting hit on all the time. I did fall into it a little bit, but then I very quickly learned, probably about my third or fourth trip, that it was not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so I very quickly d- just stopped. Um, mm-hmm. I corrupted yeah. all the evidence, <laughs> so to speak. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I really got to the brink of, of, you know, messing things up pretty yeah. badly. So, yeah. but I was also, you know, looking back, I realized like I was learning and yeah. I was coming into you my were learning and, um, you know, making that decision has been one of the best decisions I've made. Um, I make very clear delineations even now as I'm, you know, very much sexualized and exotified, um, for a variety of reasons, you know, it, it, it it's taught me a lot about myself. And um, every time I go back, I learn something new about that dynamic. Wow. Um, even these last couple trips, you know, last month and a couple weeks ago, um, some things happened that I just, you know, really helped me learn a lot about patriarchy and cross-cultural patriarchy. Um, well, can you give us examples, please? Yeah, I mean, um, so, you know, going through working in a, in a predominantly all-male um, field site, or, you know, group and scenario, um, there's this thing in, you know, in ethnographic research they call the daughterly ethnographer, Mm. where we're considered um, not knowing very much and being, you know, the men have to take us under their wing and make sure we're cared for and um, Mm. kind of coddle us. Mm. And it influences the way that we're seen and and how we're able to do research. Um, When I was doing the last of my dissertation work in 2013, 
I always had to have one of the musicians accompany me er everywhere. Um, I wasn't allowed to. Why? Because they, they were like, oh, the streets are dangerous and you can't walk by yourself. This is a manifestation of, of the Cuban you know, machismo. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's like, they call it caballerismo, mm, this idea of chivalry. Exactly, right? gentlemanliness. Yeah. And Please, <laughs> yes, yeah, spare me the yes. Of course, yeah, it's so. like you know, you're such a little damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. You're so rapable. Right, and here I stand at you know six feet. Oh yeah, you're I'm an not Amazon a small woman. Yes, <laughs> and I know how to box. I know how to fight. I grew up in D.C. in the '90s. Uh, yeah, so, it's great. You know, I know the street smarts, and um, and then so you have, have like the little chaperone musician <laughs> right? taking you everywhere. Everywhere. Um, I had to stand in a certain spot within the events and. Um, if I, you know, tried to get a different vantage point, I would have someone running after me, pulling me back. No way. I would have to escape there. Like, no way. <laughs> Literally <laughs> weave and dodge out of situations in order to do my work. Um, even to this day, by one of the leaders, I'm still not introduced as an academic or a researcher. I'm not afforded that legitimacy. I'm considered a friend of the conga. Um, wow. And asked to hold bags and you know, take pictures and things like that. Wow. So, um, you know, going through... But if you were a male, this would not oh, no, be happening. Not at all. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so... And know. yet it's the only way that you get access. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you know, do as the Romans do mm -hmm. in order to get in yep. and record and keep, you know, make, make, make the archive, yeah. which we need. Yeah, so, you know, um, even now, like, Coming through uh, this last trip, um, you know, I haven't been in necessarily in uh, data collection mode necessarily. Just walking through the streets, um, there was an instance where I was walking down the street and a man approached me, and said, "Oh, I like your body," and I just <laughs> kept going. Um, a few blocks later, sorry, he it's just not uh, funny, but just the way that they, oh, they yes. don't think about it. You're mm -hmm. out in the street, therefore you're mm -hmm. accessible. Yeah. Um, a few blocks later, you know, I thought I turned the corner, I walked and all of a sudden he just rolls up in on the street. Like he had followed me. Mm -hmm. Um, he approaches me again and said, no, I, I really like your body. And I had to say, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a relationship now. And I said, oh, I, you know, so does my husband. I kind of fudged that, you know, the nature of our relationship. <laughs> <We're> not, married. <laughs> not married yet. Um, and he's, and by having that legitimacy of a husband, he said, oh, you know, I'm, I apologize you see, to your husband. You belong to a man. Exactly. But, if you, but you can't belong to yourself. Exactly. And it actually took me telling that to my partner for him to say, wow, like you, I, you have to be legitimated by belonging to a man. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you just Might said. Might as well be in Saudi yeah. Arabia. You know, I mean, we don't mm -hmm. have those laws, but mm -hmm. that's the way they think anyway. Yeah. So, you know, I kept walking down the street and I went a few more blocks and another man said, oh, I like your body. And I kept walking. <laughs> and then I start hearing, I turn the corner, I start walking uphill, I start hearing these, these yells behind me. And this man is following me, screaming at me, saying, why won't you stop and talk to me? I said I liked your body. The second man now. Yeah, the second man. And I said, excuse me, at this point I had, you know, I had to get home for something. And I said, it has nothing, you know, I don't want to stop and talk to you. And he said, oh, is it because I'm black? I said, no, absolutely not. It's oh. because I have, I'm in a relationship and I don't want to stop to talk to you. I have something to do. And he just kept yelling at me and I just kept going. Um, I kept walking, you know, really fast. He dropped off. Another man happened to be standing on the corner at that moment. Another seven blocks later, I turn and this, this other man, so this is the third, 
it's all in a sequence, appears alongside of me who had also been following me in the dark. Um, and so I looked for the first, you know, elders that I could find and I stopped and greeted them as if we knew each other and told them what was happening. They said, you know, just wait here. Um, and then, you know, that the third man at this point passed. Um, and then they gave me the go ahead to continue on. And all of a sudden another man pops up and starts talking about how he wants to sleep under my bed, not in my bed with me, but under my bed. And I'm really freaked out at this point because, like, I don't want people to know where I live and I haven't been accosted like this ever in Cuba. Cuba's always felt incredibly safe to me, but this was the first time that I felt unsafe. Um, and I know it's, an, you know, an outlier incident, but it... No, the it's fact not. That, well, <laughs> at least, like, in, you know, for me, it, I'd never had that, you know, one by one by one. They kept saying, I like your body. And it made me realize, you know, this dynamic of entitlement that men feel mm -hmm. of that this is a mechanism of cuban patriarchy mm -hmm. that they feel entitled when they express interest that i have to stop whatever i'm doing and and respond them. yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and be and be flattered yeah and a lot of that has to do with the, the dynamics of foreigners coming into cuba for sex tourism oh yeah for sure there's a dynamic happening um, that's increased now, and unfortunately it's being promoted by a lot of travel agencies and people who are responsible for exchanges um, to say, oh, Cuba's an amazing place to come and fall in love. Mm -hmm. And because of the nature of the economy right now, you know, a lot of Cubans look to foreigners as commodities and mm -hmm. they use relationships in order to establish a financial lifeline mm -hmm. um, to facilitate remittances. And so I get it, you know, I'm not, I can't comment it on either way because I'm not Cuban. I, I, you know, have lived there many, over many years, but I don't know what it's like to live there consistently and have those economic realities. So it's not my place to judge really, but I do know that I don't want to be a part of it. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why I don't have romantic or sexual relationships with Cubans. Mm -hmm. um, well, I have to say, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. but I want to put my little narrative in here. Yeah. Um, so we can expand it a little. Absolutely. That that is Cuba, but you know I come from far away in the world, right? Mm -hmm. A country equally small and equally famous for strange reasons. We are famous for our antiquity, mm -hmm. but um, I grew up exactly like that, and mm -hmm. these were my people. So um, and yes, there is this the the we now call it you know sex tourism. But like when I was a kid with Club Med and all that, you know, the, the tourists from the, the Scandinavian countries, the, you know, all the northern countries in Europe, girls would come alone basically to sleep with the Greek men. I don't know why. I don't know what that mythology was and how their men are. I didn't, it was in reverse. Like we didn't go up there <laughs> to sleep yeah. with their men. <laughs> so I can't like compare. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do know that partly because of that, but also partly because those old patriarchal cultures are so insular, you know, we were their women and were subjected to one kind of very strict laws and rules. Mm -hmm. But then the foreign women who were not part of our culture were not subjected to those rules at all, but they were all whores, like they were there mm -hmm. for the taking. Mm -hmm. So they could have any woman who was from outside uh, no questions asked, you know, if she was willing. And then those of us who were not represented by our keepers, mm -hmm. our fathers, our brothers, our whoever, you know, I mean, I was a tr I was really young. There was no issue of like a boyfriend or, mm -hmm. or, a, or a husband. 
Um, but it doesn't matter, you know, once you are a teenager and your body presents, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, with like boobs and ass, um, and you walk down the street to go to like your school or after school lessons or whatever it is, you are being treated this way all the way there and all the way back. And so, well, this is when your mind, you know, your neural pathways are still being formed. You have 10 more years of your brain being formed, right? Mm -hmm. So it's extremely effective, you know, and you understand that there is you, as you know yourself, your understanding of a self, a you, and then there is your body, which is not your body, it's the body that's, that's attached to you. Mm -hmm. And the way at least I experienced it, and I think most women when growing up like this experienced it, is that that body is just a goddamn burden Mm -hmm. that makes you vis visible, that gets you in trouble with the guys, that makes you self-conscious and ashamed and always like, mm -hmm. you know, pointed out and picked on and asked really crazy, horrible things of, right? Um, and since you're not even sexual, you don't even feel empowered yet. Like, you know, maybe 10 years later, you'll feel kind of like a sexual power out of this. Mm -hmm. But at this stage, you just start the loading of the body. Just when the body is no longer childish, mm -hmm you start to hate it because it gets in your way of everything. Yeah. It will get you in trouble with your dad if you found out, you know, like everyone would punish you for something that you, you're just still just a kid. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the beginning of the actual lived experience of this split between body and mind mm -hmm. that the patriarchy has, you know, sh has forced upon us. Mm -hmm. um, because that's its best way of controlling the female body, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, if, if it happens to you so young, it's very hard to overcome it. It's very hard to actually, you know, get back to a holistic place where you're like, yes, you know, I am B, <laughs> I am me and my body is me and mm -hmm. everything that I feel is right there in this flesh and I understand the boundaries and this body is only mine, not those guys' or not the husband's or not the father's or whoever, you know, mm -hmm. doesn't belong to like, the cameras or TV, <laughs> it's just so hard because yeah. they've already claimed it. When you don't know what's, you know, the difference, when you think, well, they're older, there are more of them, they know right from wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that what you experienced, I mean, for you may have been unusual, but it's actually so common in those, especially in those, you know, heavily masculine cultures, yeah. um, which most old world cultures are. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was it was a shock because it had never happened to that extent before. Mm. And it made me think about, you know, and really since the Me Too movement came out. Exactly. I have been thinking and reevaluating all of these incidences me too. that I just <laughs> took for granted as normal, right? Times where my ass got slapped out in public mm -hmm. and, you know, I was physically grabbed and objectified. And it took a conversation with my ex, my then partner, to say, you know, does this really happen? And I remember sitting there, we were sitting in a park and I remember saying like, yes, this happens all the time. And he couldn't understand. And I'm thinking, you know, he's actually done some things that fall into these, these categories of violating bodily autonomy and they're subtle. Um, and so the conversations that it prompted and these kind of reconceptualizations, there were some days where I had to forcibly turn off my brain to think about it because I just couldn't I was getting overloaded um, yeah that's another thing yeah. that we do you know you go out of body 
mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's what my mom told me about sex. It's just, you know, think of something else mm-hmm. <laughs> and let it happen because you don't want to resist it. Mm-hmm. It, w- it, get w- it gets worse. You know, you don't want to fight it. You just got to endure. I'm like, mm-hmm. that, um, that, that's my sex ed. Mm. But, yeah, that's what happened mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. So it's it's been, you know, and rethinking all of these dynamics of being a professional. Like, my career is very much mm-hmm. a, a huge part of my identity. And um, so struggling with these dynamics of what I'm going to put up with for the field and what I'm not going to put up with anymore. Um, you know, I was paying attention a lot to people's responses to this, this example uh, of what just happened last month. And even, you know, the men who I thought would say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, they just said, oh, you know, well, they're just crazy and just brushed it off. I'm hmm. like, that's the problem. Let, let men be men. Yeah, like, oh, they're just crazy. Oh, you know, no, y'all have got to h- hold each other accountable. Yes. That's what it's going to take. Yes. And if you don't, then it's just going to keep happening. Exactly. And so now I'm struggling with, you know, you just th- you know throw these dudes away like what do you do with that do you try to push them to be better but then it's not my culture so do i have a place to do that yeah i don't think i don't so. know um i think you'll make enemies if yeah you, t- you know so these are things i've been thinking about um especially since it's so fresh but you know and especially with all the legislation that came out just in the last couple days um and thinking about these global patterns, because you know white supremacy is, is supported and maintains itself globally, and so does patriarchy. Mm. Oh yeah! So oh my like, God! Because yeah, they're all interlinked. Speaking of Saudi Arabia, it's like <sighs> well, I mean, it's more repressive than ever in, mm-hmm. in in recent. I mean, in recent memory, clearly we're talking about twentieth mm-hmm. century. But a lot of these countries that we thought were on a progressive path mm-hmm. have completely relapsed into you know severe repressive. Mm-hmm. tactics all of them you know led by this patriarchy that feels threatened and i'm not i mean this is not something that i can say with any um knowledge because i haven't looked into it but I, i'm not surprised that that might be as a, as a result of me too mm-hmm. that you know they feel more threatened so mm-hmm. they double up yeah and i mean there's also i think I mean, that's what, don't you think that like in part uh, we have the oh, president definitely. we have is, is a response to, you know, the progress in women's voices? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when we look back into patterns of history, there's always, anytime there's the liberation of personhood, there's always a white lash mm. and this kind of wave of, of oppression mm-hmm. um, trying to stifle it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're experiencing right now. I saw someone post about the legislation that came out in Georgia and Ohio and oh, yeah. um, just a couple, you know, in the last couple of days as saying this is punishment for the Me Too movement. Why? What, what does that the Me Too movement um, have to do with abortion rights and all of that stuff? For women standing up for themselves and women oh. holding men accountable, um, oh. that this is punishment for that. Um, and it's just another lash of oppression. Exactly. Being inflicted. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, there's also, I deal with, you know, I, I work a lot in religion too, so there's a lot of, of dynamics of spirituality, and one thing I do in my own, like, personal self and and academic self is look at kind of global patterns of, of spiritual calls, mm. and, you know, going back to 2012, when we had the so-called Mayan apocalypse, right, 
but that was only an oh, apocalypse. The apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> that was only an apocalypse from the viewpoint of white supremacy. Exactly. But what it was talking about was this rise of of the divine feminine and spiritual mm. empowerment in women and mm. kind of coming back into women's power. Um, and when you looked at subsequent, you know, social movements, for example, from Standing Rock, um, you know, you saw a lot of elder indigenous women leaders speaking about the relationship to the earth and embracing our power. And mm -hmm. I think that is intimately linked with the Me Too movement, with I agree. the way yeah. that, you know, these yeah. kind of legislative dynamics are mm -hmm. happening. Um, because women, you know, the divine feminine is, is a powerful force to be reckoned with oh yeah and she hasn't gone anywhere <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> but i think part of our power all you this know, mambo jumbo mm -hmm. men making a few extra dollars and making rules and mm -hmm. laws and punishing and jailing yeah. she could just blow it all out of the way <laughs> but it's hard for us as, as at least you know for me i grapple with it and struggle with embracing that power and living the reality of of those kind of well, it's hard to embrace the power publicly, especially if you're like an academic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and be like a, a pro Professor Bruja. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I mean, I think that it's, but I don't think it's going to be hard for much longer. You know, I really feel that this generation, like the, especially the, you know, the millennials and post millennials, whatever mm -hmm. they are called, um, will come to it much more naturally because of global warming because mm -hmm. they are you know so uh, keenly aware of patriarchy having put the entire planet at risk you mm -hmm. know of dying um and the only way to balance that out is to go back to nature and ask nature like how can we honor you what do we do you know we want to write what you know what's been done so badly yeah. um and it is the Kali Yuga age, so it's. I think it's like the era where it's supposed to start shifting mm -hmm. that consciousness um, away from the Judeo-Christian complete patriarchal control of faith. You know, there is one God; He's a dude. You know, and He's nasty and vengeful. Mm -hmm. That's the Old Testament. And then there is <laughs> another God, and He's a dude, mm -hmm. <laughs> white and white. Um, and the, and this one is like suffering on our behalf because he's all about guilt tripping and shaming, mm -hmm. you know. And it, I mean, it's not, you know, him per se, but how they've been interpreted, right? These faiths. I mean, to a, to a more, you know, pagan understanding, both of these gods are the gods of nature. You know, the vegetation mm -hmm. god that like dies in the winter, is reborn in spring, Easter mm -hmm. time, resurrection, all of that. But, you know, the way it was interpreted by the church authority. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, you're a woman, it's your fault, you betrayed, you know, you can get close to the altar, you can't, you know, help in worship, you, mm. you know, you just go out there and menstruate in hiding and be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> like, who mm -mm. gave birth to you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the presumption of it all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean so, yeah, I agree with you. I think that, you know, it's important to worship nature, and I think that we're g g slowly going, inevitably going in that direction, but there's going to be a lot of backlash oh, before yeah. we get there. But I, I, I keep encountering women who have just this raw, efficacious power inside of them. Mm. They And it's coming to a surface, mm. and 
for whatever reason we encounter each other and part of my function is to help um, just be kind of a reflective person or encounter to say no like embrace that and and go with it and you're not crazy (laughs) (laughs) and because that's what's going to save us Mm -hmm. you know I really I really believe in that divine feminine energy and when it's when you're surrounded by it as a woman Mm -hmm. um you know across all of the gender spectrum the divine feminine you know it's not limited to women It, Mm -hmm. it inhabits everybody really and it's all of those who really embrace it the goddess yeah yeah and bring it forward i mean that's what's going to save us all um because that's nature that's cycles Mm -hmm. and so you know the one of the tensions i i have to manage in cuba is is feeling that because my you know my spiritual orientation is very much linked to to cuba and working inside of that and inside of my own personal growth while managing this patriarchal society and structure that is either overtly or covertly or unconsciously, you know, working to stifle it. Mm. And so there's very few spaces where I feel comfortable um, inside of that feminine energy there um, and very few spaces even here that I feel comfortable inside of it. Mm-hmm. But when I do and we're in it, man, you can't hold it back yeah so how do you find the women in cuba and and also the religious practices that you've been um part of you know cuban women i have the most up incredible respect for um because they have to deal with all of this patriarchy um and i see women who have kind of resigned themselves inside of it and it breaks my heart Um, And I see women who actively fight against it and I stand with them. I stand with all of them, um, but who are constantly and overtly pushing back. Um, You know, I had one encounter a couple years ago when I was in a car, a shared ride car, and um, I hadn't spoken and I told the driver where I wanted to be dropped off. And then the man sitting next to me leaned over and whispered in my ear, oh, I was going to say something, but now that I know you're a foreigner, I'll be respectful. I'm like, wait a second. But if you thought I was a Cuban woman, you weren't going to be respectful. So I know that's the shit. Uh, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's the shit that Cuban women have to deal with every day. And like, damn. No boundaries. Um. So, you know, it's. And what about the spiritual practice? Are they in charge of that, or are they men are also in charge of it? Um. You know, it depends on the community. It Mm. depends on the particular line. Mm. Um, That's something that I'm starting to, as my work shifts back into um, religion overtly, I'm really interested in the role of women um, in these practices. And even historically in in my dissertation work, I realized that women are always behind the scenes. And without women, like none of the community formation would have happened. None of the properties would have been gathered inside of the particular community that I study. And women always have an absolute fundamental role in all of it, right? In all the spiritual practices. Um, but ironically, one of the major controversies right now is the presence of the Iyanifaz, or the new presence of the Iyanifaz, which in the, um, so within the Yoruba-based practices, um, when they were initially brought to Cuba in the, really strongly in the early 1800s, um, it was primarily men who were enslaved. And so, you know, 
the male lines and knowledge was was brought initially, particularly within the Ifa tradition. Um, regla de Ocha, which is the companion side, so it's the, the relationship to the Orishas or the spirits of nature, um, that had traditionally been dominated by women, although there comes a moment in the 1940s where due to certain social dynamics, um, men started kind of taking over that too. But that's a history I actually am learning about right now. I don't know too much about. Um, but on the Ifa side, you know, it has to be men, right? So in the in the 90s, um, you know, the, the Yoruba, the Nigerians start entering into Cuba on this kind of course correction mm-hmm. um, attempt to say, oh, well, we come with an authenticity direct from the continent. And the Cuban protection practitioners are saying, well, you know, we have our own thing going. So then there, there comes up this kind of dual, there's Nigerian Ifa now and there's Cuban Ifa. Mm. And so with the Nigerian Ifa line um, from the continent, there's, there's parallel things, but there's also distinctions. This is then brought in the Iyan Ifas, which are contrary to what people gloss, you know, generalize. They're not female Babalaos. They're Iyanifa is its own category of um, of divination, its own relationship to spirits. And it has become a huge controversy in Cuba. And the male Baba Laos are freaking out because they're saying, no, this is a violation. But, you know, from the from the Nigerian line, there's no conflict because it's a balance of the masculine and feminine. Um, and so this is a conversation that's actively happening as we speak throughout the island. Um, I personally don't see a conflict because I know that we all have our roles and knowing that it's not just a female babalao, like Yani Faz are their own thing, um, there shouldn't be a conflict. And Wanda Abimbola, who's considered this very highly revered babalao from Nigeria, he's also a scholar, he consults at Yani Fa. Um, I know several who have been initiated, and there's no conflict. Um, but I think what it's doing is challenging some of the ways that um, patriarchy is imbued within the spiritual frameworks. And so to have you know this role come out, um, it's shaking some things up. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, I'm, cur- I'm attending a conference in July, so we'll see mm. how the conversation goes. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, that, that confrontation of the patriarchy always uh, receives a huge backlash. And mm-hmm. I think this is a, a place of entry where it can really, in terms of the spiritual practices, mm-hmm. it could really um, make some positive changes. Mm-hmm. And is there a strong community in Miami who practice the, the old religion? Um, like or, Ifa? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, of practitioners here, mm-hmm. and which comes with its own set of politics. Um, I'm not really inside of that community. Um, you know, my spiritual stuff is connected to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, where I work in Cuba, um, very, you know, and we all have our own preferences and communities right, and yeah, our paths yeah, are what yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, so I'm I just wondering if you have an outsider's knowledge of you know, how the community works in, in Miami, you know, the expat yeah. spiritual, <laughs> the expat spiritual <laughs> practice. <laughs> well, I know that, um, you know, Miami has a reputation for doing its own thing. Mm. Um, they, and you, there's a book called um, uh, The Cooking of History, How Not to Study Afro-Cuban Religion mm. by Stefan Palme. And he talks about the Miami Cuban community and how they made a break from 
the island um, in order to have their own autonomy and not be reliant upon going back and forth. And so, um, you know, I just I respect it for what it is, mm-hmm. but I don't mm-hmm. get into the and middle of it. And how do they get the how do they get along with the Catholic Church? Um, <laughs> or you know, <laughs> <laughs> not very well. <laughs> uh, you know, there are people who. So we're talking about institutions. I think as an institution, the African-based Cuban practices um, don't are not viewed very well by the contemporary Catholic Church, mm-hmm. even though historically, um, you know, Catholicism was imposed, and there's this whole there's a whole series of dynamics and histories that is kind of beyond what you know what we have time for today. <laughs> um, but in one of the projects well, that that's I what they t- I'm sorry to interrupt. That's what I touched on, though, that in a sense, Catholicism was like new names and, you know, new power exchange, but between the same archetypes to begin yeah. with. Right? Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm working on in terms of the West Central African practices, um, I'm delving into ideas that, you know, frame it a little with a little bit more nuance and complexity. Um, so this idea of syncretism and just the over overarching, mm-hmm. you know, flip back and forth, um, I think there's much more nuance to it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is something I'm working on right now, so I can't really speak with too much confidence. Um, but I know contemporarily with the dynamics of, um, of one of the, the projects that I have uh, in Regla, Cuba, where Yamaya lives, um, it's the Church of Regla, in the processional that we that we um, do, it's the processional of the Orishas that has been re- reinitiated um, is, uh, from the Cabildo de Yamaya. So this is one of the central points of entry of um, Regla de Ocha and Ifa from the Yoruba lines. And it was a space where women really um, led and guided. Mm. And this processional that's been reinitiated now for the last three years um, the Catholic Church in Regla wants absolutely nothing to do with. And they said, you know, leave us out of it. Sometimes spiritual work mandates you leave something on the steps of the church. They were like, don't do that. So it's a conflict, and there's definitely tension Mm -hmm. happening, Um, especially also since the irony is that for the church processional that happens every on the 7th of September, um, people come uh, to revere Yamaya. So not <laughs> as the Virgin of Regla, but as right. Yamaya. Yeah. And they're seen, you know, both ways, but you see people come out praying to Yamaya with their mm-hmm. um the dolls that have imbued like ancestor spirits inside of them. Mm-hmm. Um you see all of that, but mm-hmm. yet the Catholic Church wants nothing to do with mm-hmm. the definitively, you know, regular the Ocha processional that happens two days later. Yeah. Um there's also the rise of evangelicalism evangelicism mm-hmm. in Cuba right now. Mm that is having a major impact on LGBTIQ rights, um, on people throwing away their elements from the African-inspired religious practices. And, um, you know, it's it's having, from what I see, a detrimental impact mm-hmm. on Cuba. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's like, uh, sorry, <laughs> that's like scorched earth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when... Cause Christianity, I mean, yes, you know, if you're a heretic, you would be burned on the stake. But only really if you're 
making yourself visible and asking for power and mm-hmm. beca- making yourself a threat in some way. But otherwise, like at the local level of this village or that village, they basically allowed everyone to continue their practices so long as they call them Christian, mm-hmm. right? So like the village where I come from on Lesbos, um, has three or four practices that... The, my village has the same name in Homer that it has today. Oh, wow. So it's you know, continuous kind of civilization yeah. uh, for 3,000 years. So there are descriptions from back then of, like, the people running with the bulls. Mm. Um, you know, the bull sacrifice, the bull dance, variations of, like, the f- you know, uh, decorating the bull, throwing flowers at the bull, sacrificing the bull, killing the bull, from, like, pre-Olympian god, Neolithic mm-hmm. times. And it continues now, but it's on the day of a Christian saint. Mm. It's a Christian sh- Christian sh- saint, but it's a local saint. Mm-hmm. So, like, the church doesn't care. It's perfectly fine, you know. We do it every year, or, like, on Easter, they burn a huge effigy of Judah, mm-hmm. you know, who, like, uh, in made of wood. Um, but exactly similar customs were happening in, you know, springtime festivals in ancient Greece, you know, pagan Greece. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are many examples like that um, of how we've continued the superstitions, you know, the miracle making, just different names, a few alterations here and there, you know, Mm -hmm. and and many temples later became churches, you know, like with each religion, a few decoration symbols change, but it's the same basic space, you know, of worship. Um, I think what they care about is power, But with evangelicals, it's much more fanatic than Mm -hmm. that. It's just, you know, leave nothing. Not an idol, not, you know, custom, not a whatever saint or minor this and that. It has to be like, you know, this, like reborn uh, Christian uh, fascist kind of, spiritual fascist. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that definitely is, is frightening, especially in a place as you know, rich, uh, culturally rich and, and cu- culturally salvaged yeah. is Cuba. Yeah. Um, I mean, the so the Cuba had, you know, it has a new constitution. And one of the amendments was for marriage equality. And that amendment got um, taken out because of pressure from the evangelical cur- church. No. And so uh, this Saturday was supposed to be, I don't know if this Saturday or sometime in the next few days, there was supposed to be this... Um, LGBT parade that happens every year, their conga, and it got canceled, said to be pressure from the evangelical church. So they're they're doing a, a march anyway on Saturday, um, but this was one of you know the spaces of visibility of pride. It's like Cuban pride, mm-hmm. um, all pressure because of the evangelical church. And you Where know, do I, these people get their money? Well, a lot of it has to do with the regulations during the Bush administration mm. and the way that travel to Cuba was um, was regulated. Evangelical missionaries were allowed to go into Cuba. And so there was consistent presence of evangelicals um, from, the, at least from the U.S., mm. you know, into Cuba doing quote-unquote missionary work. And now we're starting to see the, the impact of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and see, you have studied it in Cuba, but I imagine this something ha- has happened worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the global implications of it, but um, I don't either. But I imagine that Republican administrations gave precedence, and you know, 
perks mm-hmm. to evangelicals who vote for them and who want mm-hmm. in exchange to be free to like go abroad and preach and convert. Yeah. And we're seeing that we see the same thing in Haiti. Um, I just watched a documentary with my partner about it um, of, you know, U.S. evangelicals going down to Haiti, especially after the earthquake mm-hmm. and talking about how voodoo was the culprit for the earthquake and convert to evangelical Christianity to better your society and they're pumping money into it. Exactly. So they're the it's ones the building money. hospitals and schools. Mm-hmm. They're saying, well, what has voodoo ever given you? Mm-hmm. So it's a CNN episode. Um, and it does a, it does a, a decent job of showing a balance between the two and showing, you know, well, voodoo doesn't have the kind of outside remittance access that the evangelical church does. And so no, we can't be building hospitals and schools, but, we also support, you know, the identity of our peoples and our and our roots and our heritage. Um, and you don't want to anger your ancestors. Mm-hmm. Let me just say. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> evangelical, evangelical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you don't you know, want that wrath. Jehovah's on your house. Are everywhere in Cuba now, and wow, always, you know, asking for converts and trying to preach the word to you. Mm-hmm. So I'm polite and say, you know, no, thank you, mm-hmm. and keep it moving but well that's the colonizer's religion mm-hmm. you know you can tell the colonizer from the non by the, the you know by answering this question to their gods you want to convert everyone mm-hmm. you know like if your gods if you do not send missionaries around the world then that's who you are yeah 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 so that's the i mean that's what we have been calling the patriarchy it's the same mm-hmm. thing it doesn't oh, yeah. matter you know if it's like capitalism or if it's the, you know religion or if it's like what what seems to us like right from wrong what they have taught us to call morality you know it's these like double standard mm-hmm. yeah we can't talk about white supremacy without talking about patriarchy mm-hmm. and so yeah i'm here to dismantle all of it thank you <laughs> thank you you know and especially in this time where we we don't know what has really happened and where it's taking us mm. we should speak up you know we yeah. have a, i think a responsibility to get out of our comfort zone and you know bear testimony and mm-hmm. just say we're here um and we speak for a, i think for the silent majority you know we speak for a lot more women who you know for all kinds of reasons aren't able to speak for themselves but this is what they stand for yeah yeah and also you know our our her story Mm -hmm. (laughs) our unwritten Mm -hmm. you know her story so yeah yeah. no that's definitely some as you know on a professional level um moving more towards centering women especially centering black women inside of my work um, I have several projects pending that is bringing that uh, that her story up mm-hmm. and to front and center um, because without women, yeah, you know, nothing would have happened. Yeah, yeah, and the ones in power are fighting us now, so we gotta keep fighting mm-hmm. back. Yeah, yeah, but we do it lovingly, <laughs> <laughs> of <course>. right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm going to close. I think that's a good uh, conclusion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thank you for coming. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. Yeah, it was a wonderful conversation. Come back. I know you're leaving for Cuba in a couple of days. So, but we'll speak again next year. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for trusting me as your sex and gender whisperer. (laughs) And uh, until I speak to you next Friday, 
Be well and speak sex. Ciao. If I could make love incessantly, I would be God. <laughs>